Welcome to the Cross Church Podcast. Today is the conclusion of our Summer of 2019 series, Summer of Psalms. For the past nine weeks, we've been focusing on some of King David's most famous writings. Pastor Allen wraps up this series with another very famous passage from Psalm 139. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed this series, please let us know. Well, everybody, today is the last, the last message uh, in the sermons on the Psalms. And um, kind of sad about that because there's so much more that I'd love to share with you. But uh, let me just uh, do a recap here, a reminder to you that, uh, that David has inspired people for 3,000 years. Uh, we sometimes call him a saint and a sinner. And if you know the story, you know how he was indeed a man after God's own heart, a man who began really uh, as a shepherd, anointed by God to become the first king of Israel, hunted by, by King Saul, a king who was jealous of David's relationship with God, and if you can believe that, uh, jealous of David's victories in war, Saul has, has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. He was the one who killed the giant Goliath. For some, it's that, it's that slaying or killing of Goliath that really defines David. But David is so much more than that. And David is, the, is a, the author of 75 psalms, of the 150. He's a man who walked closely with God. He was a man who sinned and failed God terribly. But he was a man who was utterly and completely devoted to God and to God's people. It's no wonder then that in 19, or 1898, the Zionist community decided to choose this star, what's called the Star of David or the Shield of David as as this symbol that's symbolic of the nation of Israel because it was under David that, that Israel really was at its zenith. Uh, not necessarily financially or territorially, but spiritually. This, Israel was in its best place under the rulership of King David. And so the Zionist community decided to use this symbol as as that which represents the nation of Israel. Now, David has been featured in art for hundreds of years. The story of David obviously inspiring many. Let me just show you this painting by uh, the Dutch Golden Age painter, Peter de Grieber, painted about 400 years ago. This is David at the end of his life. David reflecting back on what his life was like and his failings, his successes, but most importantly, the realization that God was with him and never failed him. I hope and pray that everybody here today understands how much God loves you, that God will never leave you and never forsake you. He'll always be with you. This is what David understands. David understands his need to be completely surrendered to God. And I'm going to tell you, 
As somebody who's, I became a Christian when I was eight years old, so I've been a Christian for nearly 50 years. Here I am, 50 years later, and I'm still learning what it means to submit to God. Anybody with me on this? Did you say, yeah, that's, that's my story? Only I'm not as old as you, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, I'm still learning. And, and things that I thought that I'd mastered, I'm, I'm, I feel like sometimes I feel like a child in these, in these areas. But I'm still learning what it means to surrender and to submit to God. And I'm so thankful to God for David. Because I see in David a man after God's own heart, but a man so full of, of failings and weaknesses, but a man who persevered to the end. This morning, my prayer as we end the series in the Psalms, my prayer, my desire and longing for every single person here is that you persevere in your walk with God. You don't give up. Did you hear that? That you don't give up. Because you're going to be tempted to give up. In fact, some of you even sitting here today are tempted just to give up and say, I can't do it anymore. My prayer is that you'll come to the end of the service and say, I can't do it anymore, but Jesus working in me makes it possible for me to keep on. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be surrendered to God. I can't be a Christian in my own strength. It's absolutely impossible. I know because I've tried it, and it doesn't work. I need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life every day to enable me to live the life that Christ has called me to live. Otherwise, I'll be just like David, making all kinds of the same mistakes. Now, one of the things that we asked you to do this summer was to read through the Psalms. How many read through the Psalms this summer? Many of you did. There's a few honest people here. Robin, I expect you have this done by next week. No, I'm just joking. I thank God for Robin. Some of you haven't read them yet. I'm going to tell you, you have to read them. Because it's going to change your life. Look what, um, look what C.S. Lewis says. He says, The most valuable thing that the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. This is what David, this is, this is what the Psalms are all about. It's all about David coming to terms with his sin, repenting, and discovering God's forgiveness. And this is what he says in Psalm 37, 45. How many remember that Psalm 37 is my favorite psalm? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. So C.S. Lewis understands that the Psalms are all about delighting in your relationship with God. It's enjoying God. How many know that God wants you to enjoy him? A lot of people don't get that. Back in, when the Westminster Confession was created and the great theologians got together to decide or to figure out what is God's, what is, what is God's purpose or plan for man? And you know what, what they discovered? Man's purpose is to glorify God, that is to cause everybody around to praise God. Hey, Patrick, does your life cause people to praise God? That's exactly what God wants you to do. He wants you to live so that people around you will praise God. But the second thing that you need to understand is that you are called to enjoy God. How many are enjoying God today? If you're not enjoying God, then you're doing the Christian life wrong. 
You need to be enjoying God every day. You need to be rejoicing and celebrating and, and, and feeling your heart refreshed and encouraged as you meet with God. Nicholas and I had some good conversations this week about the importance of having that daily walk with God where you are in God's presence, you are walking with Him, you are enjoying Him, you are talking with Him. God wants the same kind of relationship with you that I have with my son. He wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you what you need to hear. And I'm going to tell you, God loves you and cares about you so much, which we're going to see in just a moment. But understand, you and I need to be in the Psalms, walking with God and enjoying Him. Well, the psalm, the particular psalm that we're looking at today is Psalm 139. And it, uh, here's, here's two of the most famous verses in this psalm. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Now, you may have learned this in the King James Version. I don't know what version you learned it. But basically, David is saying, is, David's saying, God, I'm not an accident. I have been created. I was knit together in my mother's womb so that when I, would, when I was born, I would be able to fulfill the purpose that God had for me. Now, here's what everybody here needs to know today. You are on this planet not by accident. Do you understand that? This is why the church speaks out against things like abortion. This is why we're dead against it. This is why we do everything in our power to, to help mothers who are, who are distressed by their pregnancy. We, we want to help them carry through. This is why the, the Southern Baptist Convention came up with what is called the... the um, the Psalm 139 Project. And the Psalm 139 Project aims to place ultrasound machines in crisis pregnancy centers as a means of convincing pregnant women not to abort their unborn children. Fantastic project. I can't imagine the Canadian government allowing anything like that. But what these Christians want to do is they want to help women who are suffering or struggling with a pregnancy distressed by the pregnancy, to actually see that there is a life in the womb, a life, a, a life created by God, wonderfully complex, workmanship that is marvelous, a little life, a delicate life that's being knit together in the mother's womb. Now, here's what you need to know. Every single life is God's creation. In every single life, this is, what, this is what Paul says to the Ephesians, every single life is a masterpiece created by God to do great works. There's a purpose that every one of us has. And this is why we see from Genesis to Revelation a common theme. And the common theme is this, that you and I must do the will of God was we were created to do God's will. And by the way, if you want to know what sin is, sin is not doing the will of God. Did you get that? 
This is, why, this is what David's psalms are really all about. It's all about learning how to submit to God and do his will. Understanding that David is on this planet as God's servant. Now, so many of us look at people like David and we think, oh, I could never be like that. But the fact is, you are. You have been created to do God's will. And by the way, this is what holiness is, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But we need to understand who we are as human beings, created by God to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Interestingly, the LGBTQXYZ movement, they have chosen verse 14 as, as their verse. Totally taking it out of context. Hey, do you know that every time you take a verse out of context, you create heresy? Every time you take scripture and you make it perform and do whatever you want it to do, then, folks, you have a disaster on your hands. This, the LGBTQT whatever community, they, they say, well, God's created me like this. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a, a, a masterpiece. And the fact is, folks, is that no, you're not. You're only, only, only called to do God's will and not your own. You cannot recreate Scripture in your own image or according to your own wishes or desires. You must do God's will. And this is what David understands. Now, before David was a king or before he was a giant killer, he was, or even a soldier, David was a shepherd. The heart of David was the heart of a shepherd. And he understood that this is who God is. He's a loving shepherd who cares for his sheep. If you're here today thinking God is mad at you, or God doesn't love you, or God, God hates you, then you, you are listening to the lies of Satan. Because I want you to know today God loves you. God cares about every single one of you here today. Tell the person beside you, God loves you. And as a, as a good shepherd, David understands that a good shepherd never leaves his sheep, never, never abandons his sheep, always cares, makes sure that the sheep are fed, makes sure that the sheep have water. This is what David understands about the shepherd. Now, Moses also understood this about God. Because this is what, what Moses told the Israelites. Uh, let me just move on about there. Hey, look at that. It's not there. Well, let me read it to you. Are you ready for this? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before the enemy. This is what Moses is telling Israel. Remember, Israel has left, the, has left Egypt. They've come into the promised land, surrounded by enemies. They've got good reason to be fearful, but they have God on their side. And so for that reason, they do not need to be afraid. So this is what Moses says just before he, he dies. He says, do not be afraid and do not panic before the enemy, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Does everybody get that today? That's, that's your shepherd. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going he's to come after you. He's going to care for you. He's going to care for you in ways that might make you, in fact, uncomfortable. 
Now, Jesus, Jesus confirms what Moses says and what David says in this psalm. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, in the Great Commission, his final words, the last phrase in that Great Commission is this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want everybody to understand something today. God, is, God, God your Father, has revealed himself as a shepherd. You are his sheep. And he's made a promise to never leave you, to never forsake you. In fact, as any good shepherd would do, if you stray, if you wander, if you get off track, he's coming after you. He's not going to let you alone. Spurgeon, refer, referencing uh, that great poem called The Hound of Heaven, uh, teaches that God's going to come after you and keep coming after you until you settle down until you stay near the shepherd, until you stop roaming off. And I know this about everybody here today. We've all had moments of roaming away from God. Would you say amen to that? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you thought that you could get away from God, but the fact is, is wherever you go, there's God. You can't escape him. You cannot escape him because he is your shepherd. And so that's why David says in Psalm 139, <laughs> God, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I'm, when I'm traveling, when I'm at rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what, what, I, what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the, in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Have you ever thought about that? God is with you wherever you go. David, uh, or, uh, not David, um, oh, Campolo, Tony Campolo. He said, knowing that God is with me at all times completely wrecked my dating life. God's with you wherever you go. He's there with you. And this truth hit David very hard as he began to recognize the course of his life that he can't get away with anything. God's there. Do you know that you can't get away with anything? God's there. He sees you when you're sleeping. Hold on, Pastor, isn't that Santa Claus? <laughs> Santa Claus is a myth. God is not. He's with you wherever you go. Whatever you do, whatever you say, he's there. Now, for some of you, that makes you uncomfortable because you, like Adam and Eve, would rather hide from God. In Genesis 3, 
after Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the fruit. It says it was a nice, breezy, cool evening, and God was walking in the garden, and Adam and Eve heard Jesus walking in the garden, and so they went to hide. Hey, if you're hiding, that's a sign that your heart is far from God. And there's ways that we, that we hide from God. We quit going to church. We quit doing our devotions. We quit going to small group. We quit serving. We stop talking about the things of God. We find ourselves indulging in sin that we know is wrong. That's called hiding from God. Jonah tried to hide from God. Remember that? Jonah says, I know. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go the other, other direction, the other way. God will never find me. I'll get on a ship. He'll never find me there. I'll hide below deck. I'll be totally invisible. How stupid do you think God is? Do you not know who God is? This is what David says. Wherever I, wherever I go, if I go to the, the, the depths of the ocean, wherever I go, God, you're there. I can't escape you. You can't escape God. He's coming after you. Because you've been created for a purpose, and God wants you to fulfill that purpose. And you know what? That's exactly what happened to Jonah. Jonah thought he was hiding from God, and God's, he's like this. Come on, Jonah. Throw him overboard. And the angels are like, you can't do that. God says, do it. Throw him overboard. Over he goes. And God produces a great big fish, big enough to swallow a man. And that's exactly what he does. And there's Jonah in the belly of the whale or the fish. You can just imagine what's going through Jonah's mind. Hmm. Yes, I can't hide from God. And look what happens next. Jonah, who's trying to hide from God, suddenly finds God. And he cries out to God. He says, God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. I, I failed you. He finally finds God in the bottom of the ocean in a fish. Where do you have to go? Where do you have to end up before God can finally get your attention? Jonah is listening carefully now to the voice of God because he doesn't want to stay, well, he doesn't want to be fish food. I mean, you hear of men eating fishes, but fish eating men uh, doesn't want to be fish food. He cries out to God, the God who always knows where you are at all times. And he says, I'm, I'm sorry, God. I give. I surrender. Does anybody remember the hymn that we used to sing in church, I Surrender All? I surrender all. I'm not saying it. Don't, don't anybody sing it. But this used to be what old-fashioned Christianity was. It was all about learning how to surrender to God. The way that David surrendered to God. The way David delighted his heart in the Lord. 
And Jonah learned that he couldn't run from God. In 1893, Francis Thompson wrote that poem called The Hound of Heaven, where he describes how God is like an unrelenting hound looking for that rabbit. And the hound does not stop until he catches his prey. And that's how God is, by his divine grace. He'll follow after you. He will run after you until he finally gets you. Now, that shouldn't scare you. That should cause your heart to rejoice and be glad. God wants us to learn what it means to live surrendered lives, where every day we're saying, God, what do you want me to do? And here's what, here's what David says further on. Verses 17 to 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Here's what you need to know today. Is that the reason God doesn't give up on you is because he loves you. He's a loving father. He's a loving shepherd. And you sin and you fall short and you do things you know God doesn't want you to do. God's still there. And he still loves you. Wow. I can think of many, many times when I think God would say, okay, that's it, Alan. That's one too many. You've crossed the line one too many times. It's over. But God has never given up on me. In fact, David says, not only does God not give up on me, but he's got precious thoughts about me. Hey, you know what? You know what I really began to understand the heart of God is when I became a father. And I discovered that no matter what my kids do, I'm going to love them and care about them. And I have precious thoughts about my kids. In fact, Gloria and I, when we're together alone, we talk and we share precious thoughts about our children because we love them. That's how God loves you. Now, knowing how much he loves you and how much he cares about you, realizing that God is going to stick with you no matter what, this should be a game changer for you. It was a game changer for David. In fact, here's what David ends the psalm with. He ends the psalm with these words. It's a prayer. And it's a prayer that I want every one of us here to understand. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out everything in me that offends you, God, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want to quickly unpack this in the last few minutes here. Understand this. Ultimately, God wants us to learn what it means to yield to him, to submit to him. Is anybody, anybody here like uh, Westerns, Western movies? You, you don't like them either, eh? <laughs> but have you seen them? And there's always a scene in there, on, in every Western, there's a scene where there's a horse wrangler trying to tame a stallion. Everybody knows that? You know, they're in the, in the horse paddock or whatever they call it, and there's a guy in there, and the horse, you know, kicks him and, and tries to get away, tries to jump off over the fence, and they have to run after that horse and get the horse back. But eventually, the horse wrangler gets that horse under control. Now, how do we know that that horse is under control? The horse wrangler is able to put the saddle on the back of the horse, 
and then put the, the bit in the horse's mouth and then the bridle so that that horse now can be used and be useful. But here's, here's what else you need to understand is that that horse has got great potential, but until it can be used by its master, it's useless. And that's what you and I need to understand today. Until we can learn how to be used by God, we're pretty useless. In fact, that's what we read last week and the week before. When sin controls your life, you're useless. Did you know that? But when you learn how to surrender and to submit to God, that's when you become useful to the master. And by the way, every single cowboy movie I ever saw tell you there is a special love between the horse and the cowboy. Just threw that in there. There's a special relationship between us and our God. And God wants to use you. But I'm going to tell you, you have to, you have to start praying the prayer of David. The first thing that David says for us to pray is, God, test me. What's he saying? God, search my heart and reveal to me What's wrong? Here's what I know about everybody here, is that you find it really easy to see the faults in others, right? And as far as you're concerned, you're perfect. Well, I'm not perfect, that pastor on. I, I mean, I know I'm not perfect. Yeah? Well, tell me. Tell me how you're not perfect. Every single person I know, myself included, is blind when it comes to self. And so David has to go to the Father and say, Father, show me what's wrong in me. Show me what's wrong in my heart. Show me what's wrong in the way I behave and the things that I say. So he says, test me. When you go to school, you have to be tested to see whether or not you can move on, whether you can advance to the next grade, the next level. And that's exactly what God does in us. And David's saying, God, do it to me. Test me. Search my heart. Show me what's, what's right. Show me what's wrong. But many of us don't want to do that. You don't want to, God, that's too painful. I don't want to know the truth about myself. But God, well, I've got you on the line. Can I tell you about the problems with my brother? Can I tell you about the problems with my wife? Can I tell you about the problems with my pastor? And God's saying to you, look, don't worry about them. Let's work on you. What's wrong with you? What in your life needs to change? And so God allows you to be tested. Hey, did you notice that when Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What's Jesus telling us? He's saying, when you go to God in prayer, before you finish praying, ask God to get you through the testing through the times of temptation. Because everybody here is going to go through times of testing and through times of temptation. This is what reveals who you are and what you are. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying God tempts you, but God does allow it. He allows you to go through that time of testing to reveal who you are and what you need to change in your life. But here's what so many of us do in those times of testing. We start getting angry at God. We get angry at our spouse. We get angry at everybody. And this is not fair. And how could this happen? I became a Christian. And I give money to the kids in, in Burundi. God, what's going on? God says, I'm trying to shape you. 
I'm trying to make you like Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to do. That's what God's trying to do in your life. So you need to say, God, you pray this every day. God, get me through the test, because I can guarantee you this. You are going to be tested from now till the day you die. Did you get that? You're going, to be go- you're going to go through times of testing and temptation for the rest of your life. This is just the fact of life on this earth. So, so rather than, than cursing it and getting angry, submit to it and do what David said. Well, search me, God. Test me. I'm going to surrender to this. As painful as it is, I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to tell you, folks, I have gone through some terrible times of testing. And by God's grace, he's helped me to get through it. And it's made me a better man. I would never, ever ask God to stop testing me, to stop allowing me to go through those times of temptation, because that's what makes me mature and makes me like Jesus. And that's what's going to make you like Jesus. So then, then David says, and God, by, by the way, as I'm being tested, now point out anything in me that offends you. Hey, do you know what? There is a movement called the holiness movement. Pentecostals were born out of the holiness movement. The problem with, with what happened is that it, it, it changed over time. And here's what happened. Holiness, in case you want to know, is all about doing God's will every time. Did you get that? Holiness is doing God's will every time. But what happened is that pastors, preachers, started singling out all the sins that you shouldn't commit. And now what happened is that people started becoming legalistic. And they would have, it's like a checklist. Well, I don't smoke, and I don't dance, and I don't drink alcohol, and I I don't chew tobacco, and I don't go out with girls who chew tobacco. And my, 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 when I wear a dress, it's below my knees. Well, not me. When I wear a dress, it's below my knees, and I don't wear makeup, and I don't wear jewelry, and I let my hair grow long, and all this long list of all the don'ts. <laughs> Listen, you and I, as Christians, need to do what Jesus told us to do. He said, when you pray, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you want to know what holiness is? Holiness is doing the will of God every time. And so here's what I know. If you're doing the will of God every every time, you're not going to be damaging your body by by drink, by alcohol, by anything else. You're not, going to be, you're not going to be participating in a culture that does not glorify God. You see this? See how this works? Holiness at work in you makes you do the things that pleases and honors God. And that's exactly what David is saying. Point out anything in me that offends you, God. Help me to do your will every time. That's a game changer. And so I pray, God, help me. Help me to do your will every time. It's not so much what you don't do, it's what you do. And then he says, God, lead me. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. The path of righteousness. 
you know, we call ourselves Pentecostals. And listen, Pentecostals for years became defined by miracles and speaking in tongues and prophecies and, and, and supernatural phenomenon. But I can tell you, there's going to be a lot of people on the judgment day who are going to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, we spoke in tongues. We did miracles in your name. We, we did supernatural things happen. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, out of my sight. You say, well, Pastor Allen, who's going to make it into heaven if you can speak in tongues and you can do miracles and you can you got the supernatural at your disposal? Then, I mean, if you, if you can do all that and you can't get into heaven, who can get into heaven? I'll tell you who. It's people who obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's what David is saying here. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. Give me the grace and the strength. Let your Holy Spirit dwell richly in me so that I may do your will every time. You want to know what a Pentecostal is? A Pentecostal is someone who is spirit-controlled and produces the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of obedience. That's what a Christian is. This is why we call David an Old Testament Christian, because he was one who understood that he needs to be spirit-led and spirit-controlled. It's for this reason that Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be thy name. You say, Pastor Owen, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means, listen to this, the name of God is in every Every, every person who is a Christian. Everyone who calls himself or herself a child of God has the name of God in them. The way that God is glorified, the way that his name is kept holy is when God's people who are called by his name live a life that honors and pleases Jesus. If, you're, if you call yourself a Christian and when you're outside these doors, you live like hell, I can tell you that you are bringing shame on the name of our God who is pure and holy and loving. Hallowed be thy name. God, let your name be glorified in my life. Let your name be glorified so that all who see me, all who hear me, all who watch me will see Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for this psalm that reminds us how much you love us, that, that reminds us that we can never escape from you and from your presence. Hallelujah. God, some of us today are not where we need to be spiritually. Some of us have been roaming. Some of us have strayed away. But God, the good news is that you haven't forgot about us. You haven't abandoned us. You promised never to leave us or forsake us. Even now, Lord, the hound of heaven is after us. And God, we just want to surrender now because we're tired of running. We're tired of, of being constantly on the run. We want to find peace now. We want to settle down. We want to find the joy, the peace, the calm that is missing in our lives. And God, we know that it's missing because we have been running from you. So right now, Lord, in the name of your, of, of your great son, Jesus, we come to you and ask that you would do a work in our hearts, causing us to surrender to you right now.
We want to pray the prayer of David. God, test me. Reveal what's in me. God, point out to me those areas that offend you. And I want to change. God, lead me by your spirit so that everything I say, everything that I do brings glory to your name. Give me the grace, Father, to live in full obedience to you. And we pray that in the name of our Savior. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside